getting close to Christmas. I hope you're all in your good behaviour. I'm looking forward to it, actually. We're starting our first family gathering this afternoon, believe it or not. That's the start of it, uh, when families come. I'm looking forward to it. Looking to it. So if you're taking notes, the baby who taught the world how to live. The baby who taught the world how to live. Just before we go into Luke's Gospel, I just want to say that in John 10.10, 10, the Scripture says that Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullness, or abundantly. Abundantly. Church, there's, there's more to our life than what we're living and what the world sells to us. And, and, and I want to say there's, from a man who come to faith at the age of 24, I experienced many adventures, but there's no, there's no adventure that is likened to living for God. Living for God. Not, not just doing the Christian stuff, but I mean living for God. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. And there's life for the church. There's life for you this morning. There's a purpose, a call. Our text simply is Luke chapter 2. We're going to be starting at verse 8. Our theme this morning, we're going to be considering the baby Jesus, that one in the manger. The baby Jesus divine. We're going to be considering briefly his example to follow. Because the scripture, there's a command for the church within scripture to imitate him in our living. And it's we things like this that are going to be intertwined for our thoughts this morning that as we become more like him as we grow because we have to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God no, none of us here has perfected our, our, our image burning our, our, our walk with Christ and that's why it's a journey of growing in grace and in knowledge many grow in knowledge and forget the grace they're hard to listen to many grow in grace and have no knowledge they have nothing to say there's a balance that we have to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today's desire, the desire for today is simply this, that we would make sure that Jesus, we put Jesus back into Christmas, back into our thinking, amen. It's hard to know what it's all about if you look in the world today and look in the streets today. What, why is all these lights up? Why is all these trees up? Why is everybody spending their hard-earned money? It's really hard to discern why. There's nothing on the streets, very, very little to show us what, what is going on. But obviously we know it's about the Lord Jesus, that baby who come that first Christmas. John's gospel captures it really well. And the word became flesh. That's the first Christmas. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, John says. The glory is one of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. As I thought of that alone, there's a challenge full of grace, full of truth. And you know, as we imitate Christ as believers, it just hit me the importance of how the church is present, who presents itself to the world. Think of that. The importance that is on your life, my life, of how we present ourselves to this world. Full of grace, full of truth, full of anger sometimes, full of frustration. And that's the work of the enemy. We, we have to be a people who's full of grace, full of truth, and, and full of mer mercy. And the word became flesh. There's the baby. And in Luke chapter 2, we read about Jesus, this word becoming flesh. We read about the birth of Christ. And I want to pick up the story a little later on in verse 8. We'll be looking at the rest throughout the next week or two. I want to pick up the story in verse 8 in our text you want to read with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. It just says it a wee bit more um, clearer for you this morning. 
So, so, so Jesus has been born, and it picks up in verse 8. That night there were shepherds standing in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, and he said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Verse 11, The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in, in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Verse, verse 13, And suddenly the angel was joined, I listen, by a vast host of others, the armies of God, praising and, 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 and singing unto God. Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those who, whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone something about having an encounter with Jesus. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Amen. There's so much in that that we could bring out. Mary's birth is interesting. Mary gave birth to Jesus in what would be simply called a modern-day barn today. And these cave-type barns were believed to be used for the house of sacrificial lambs that, are, that were used for the temple sacrifice. Think of that for a moment. It's a wonderful thought. And what a picture it gives us that here the baby Jesus, the Lamb of God, is birthed in a lambing barn that was used for the sacrificial lambs for the temple to cover the sins of Israel. What a picture. And if you don't understand much or anything about the birth of Jesus today, that you're fairly new to this or you're, you're seeking this and you're not sure what this whole God stuff's about, understand this, that Jesus was born in that barn to take away your sin, that you could be free and be reconciled unto God and, and receive that gift of salvation and eternal life. He did it for you. We're told within the scriptures that, that, that Caesar Augustus, he decreed a census that everyone had to return to their ancestral towns to register in this census. And the Bible tells us that Joseph was a descendant of King David and therefore had to return to Bethlehem in Judea, which was David's ancient home, King David's. What this teaches us is that, that Joseph's royal descent is told to us. And we know that the prophecy through the line of King David, the, the Messiah would come. So, so what we see is there's Joseph and there's Mary who is heavily pregnant and how to make this journey to, to Bethlehem. And that's where Jesus is born and he's placed in this manger. And what I want to just say at the very start as we consider this baby in the manger and what example we see from, from the Almighty himself is this, that such humbleness we see from the King of Glory. The one who the Bible teaches spoke into existence the very world that we inhabit and enjoy and enjoy and live in was found wrapped in a cloth in a cold manger. Philippians 2 says this, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, to say, you know, I'm not giving this up for that. I'm not giving what I have up for you. 
You see, that's what it's trying to tell us, it goes on to say, but instead he gave it up. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he, when he appeared in human form. And what we see here is that Christ bust forth into the world stage as a great missionary God. If you don't understand the nature of God, understand this, there's no missionary like him. He come to get you. He come. He initiates every prophet. Every preacher is there because he sent them or called them. He is the great missionary, not us, him. He is the great missionary God. The Bible says he became poor that, that you could be rich in Christ. We are so, so, so poor spiritually that in him and him only could we be made rich. And that night, Jesus was born, and listen, straight away, the gospel was preached. I want to, I want to say that. The first preacher of the day was, a, was an angel of the Lord. That was the first preacher. His congregation was a group of shepherds who watched over their sheep. His message was one of joy for the people who was living in a lost, dark world. Maybe you're there today, your world's lost, it's dark, there's not much joy in your life. Well, joy is found in Christ. But how the message of that first Christmas has changed, how the joy has been robbed from this world through commercialism and promoted atheism, as a child growing up, I remember being told that we were the center of the universe, that there was a God. And somewhere along the line, that narrative began to untwist and go the other road. And there was an overwhelming sense of hopelessness, uh, I felt. And as any wonder, we so, see so much hopelessness in our world. People find it easier to leave this world than to live into it. And that's the narrative. But, but Jesus says there's a joy that can be found in him. There, there, there's, there's a promise and a hope that is in him. And, but this joy has been robbed from, from this world. Be careful of commercialism in your own life. Don't let it rob you. Be careful of it. Christmas is about reflection. It's something that we need to stop and reflect what this is about. Because there's nothing that's ever changed about the story of Christmas. It's always been about that baby, that young baby Jesus that was born. It was never about the stuff. It was never about the, the, the pressure, the, the disappointment. When the, when the credit cards come in in January, and it's known as Depression Month, when people realize they've been, they've been sucked in to, to buy stuff for, the, for, the, for their families that are lying everywhere, and the child's playing with a cardboard box. Have you ever experienced that? And, and what I want to say is be careful, church. Don't be tight. Don't let an excuse not to buy a present, but don't get caught up. The greatest gift the world has ever received is that baby. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So today it's about everything else but this child that lay in that manger. The same baby who would grow up and show the world how to live and then be nailed to that cross, and die for the sins of men. How the world has forgotten, church, make sure we don't forget what Christmas is about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, him who changed your life, him who set you free, him who gave you a new hope, a new future. Today we want to bring Christ back into our Christmas and most certainly back into our, our thinking. So the first thing I want us to consider is the manger. If you're taking notes, write down the manger. The manger reminds us of his supernatural birth. 
This is the baby we're talking about. Let's focus on this gift that God has sent. The manger reminds us of his supernatural birth. He was born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Think of that, supernatural, divine. There was prophecies, many of them, concerning his coming. But one of the greatest and the one with the most detail was written, uh, it was prophesied, sorry, 700 years before he come. Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign for behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is a prophecy. It's not just something we read out of church to sound good at Christmas. This was written in prophecy 700 years before he'd come. For the intellect, this is mind-blowing that this was written then and in very every detail come to pass now. You understand? Divine. The birth of Christ reminds us of the supernatural divine birth of Christ. The manger also reminds us of Christ's humanity. This is important. God became flesh, a man, as we consider Christmas. But not only a man, but a sinless man. What's the difference? There's not one other man ever from or since has been sinless. Not one of you lovely people in this congregation fit anywhere near that description. The only man that was ever declared sinless when he was crucified for being a criminal. First John says, you know that he appeared in order to take away our sins and that in him there was no sin. So the manger reminds us of his humanity. It also reminds us, for us today, of his humility. Humility. It says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He humbled himself. Do you know what I've noticed in life? Many a person has to be humbled. In fact, God had to humble me before he got my attention. And perhaps for some of you, he's going to have to humble you to get your attention. The instruction of the church is humble yourself in obedience. What's God been calling you to do? What God's been asking you to do? The more you resist, he will have to humble his church. Humble the church. Humble the, pl- the person to bring them in the, in the step. But it says he humbled himself on the obedience, on the death, even death on a cross. Now consider verse 7 of our text. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and she led him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The Lord Jesus, I want to listen to this. I'm sure you've heard stuff like this before, but the Lord Jesus could have come in all splendor, all power and all authority. He could have come and removed kings, which he's going to do at the end. He could have disarmed armies and he could have forced himself upon this world But instead he came in all humility and poverty. The church must have humility. We must have humility in our walks with God. The church must choose to be humble. It doesn't just happen to us. We must make that decision. How are we going to react to situations? Now Jesus wasn't born in a five-star inn if such existed. Rather he was born in a barn, albeit surrounded and symbolic symbolicism we are told that every other house in the, in bethlehem and every hotel there was no room for him and you know many persons today still have no room for him in their homes but their lives are too full but listen church as i've said it's a message for the church i feel this morning how about you and i but what are you talking about pastor sure i'm saved is your life full of god or is your life full of commercialism and full of stuff in this world? 
Because that's how the enemy robs the church of her power. He gets, it, he gets the church to fill itself of all the wrong things. Before we know it, we've got an atheistic spirit. We don't even realize it. We don't really believe God can do things anymore. Because we, we, we just get on with it. But there, there, we see that the world then had no time for the Savior. And we, the church, must make sure, as we, we, we spoke about a few weeks ago, that the need to fill our, our, our house, our clean vessels with the things of God. And that's a question that, that I ask myself and I pose to you. What about you? Is there room for Christ in your life, in your home still, when we saved you? Maybe you're here and you're not saved and you haven't allowed Christ into your life. Would you, well, maybe you want to consider allowing him into your life, into your house this morning. Jesus, in all humility, entered into this world. He came to the very level where we were, in the pit. We were spiritually depraved. And that's where, where Christ entered into a sin-smitten world. The manger, it also reminds us that his, his birth offers joy to the world. Christian, I just want to leave that for a moment. Joy. Joy. Sometimes our joy can be replaced with total frustration, anger, agitation, discontentment. That's not God's gift to us. There's a joy that belongs to you and we need to claim it. We need to claim it. We need to sweep out the commercialism, the worldliness, and we need to say the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is the banner I'm going to place over my home. It is the witness that we want to, want to be to this world and to our friends and to our families. Listen to what the angel said. I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all people. There's a promise. And how Satan, the ruler of this present world, has, has managed to take joy from the world, and especially around Christmas time. I've never seen as many people as, as burdened. I think I've shared before that outside Emerson's in Armagh many years ago, there was a, a man standing giving out tracts speaking about the Lord Jesus, and he was, he was, he was, he was speaking out and, and sure, and this woman came out, I mean, she was not just angry, she was about to blow the lid. And she dropped her bags, and she gave off to the man for coming at this time of year to speak about this nonsense when we're all so busy. Think of it, think of it. I was dumbfounded. That woman was so caught up with commercialism, think of it. That she didn't even realize the reason for the season was that baby. Christ brings joy. How? The saved soul delights itself in him. The downcast soul finds encouragement in him. The broken-hearted soul finds comfort from him. The grieving soul finds hope in him. And the lost soul finds salvation in him. And we could go on. Christmas is a reminder that the world has something and especially the church, to be happy about. Church, be careful. Your joy isn't taken from you in this world. Don't get caught up in spending money on things we don't need and, and things we don't really want in the name of Christ and the name of Christmas. Salvation is free to all, and all men is free to take it. There's no cost. There's no charge. It's all been paid for. That's the Christmas we want to be talking about. The world's aim, as far as I can see, is to drain the money from my pocket. No matter what I turn to or try to do, no matter how much money I make, 
there's always a bill that comes that tells me that they want my money. Always. Doesn't matter how rich you are, your bills will just be bigger. The world's aim is to drain our pockets. It's also got the power to drain the joy right out of our souls. But Christ, when we fill our lives with Christ, it brings back this joy. And Christ brought joy to this dark world that, that you can have that joy today. So as manger, it speaks of supernatural divineness of God himself. It shows his humanity. It shows his humility. It reminds us that in him there is joy to be had and to be found. Now that's a short consideration of that baby that lay in the manger some 2,000 years ago. I want to finish off briefly this today with a wee look at the man, the character of Jesus. So if you're taking notes, write down his character. Um, according to the scriptures, the church is called to imitate Christ in character. I haven't perfected this, in case you're wondering. I'm a simple messenger this morning who has himself weekly gets cut by the word and challenged by it. But I preach it regardless because it's as much for me as it is for you. And Paul says to the early church, in all you do, do to the glory of God. If you're not sure how to live, well, there's a, a blueprint in all that you do. In business, in school, in college, and wherever you find yourself, do all to the glory of God. Paul also says later on, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. We, we see this theme that we are to imitate Christ of the world. In 1 John, John says, whoever claims to live in him must also live and walk as he did. There's one. We are called to act differently as the church. Now that doesn't mean we don't have bad days. We all have bad days. But we are called to act differently as the church to this world. 1 Peter 2 says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Now he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Even when it's hard, even when it's costly, we're called to imitate and follow him. The scripture tells us that he was pure in character and person. He was fully man, yet he was pure. Um, he committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth, Peter says. No deceit in his mouth. And what we see is that Jesus alone was a sinless man, and he had to be sinless because the scripture teaches us that that only a sinless man could be worthy to die on the cross for the sins of man. No other man could do it. It had to be a sinless man. It couldn't be anything else, anyone else. He lived a life that glorified God, and there are many examples of how Christ walked for us to follow. In fact, the whole scripture is filled with example. But there's one clear example of imitating him that will help us in the whole journey of that. And it's this, that he taught godliness and he practiced it. He taught godliness and he practiced it. Church, the greatest gift that we can offer the world this Christmas as Christians, as we try to reach them with the gospel, is to imitate an authentic Christ to them. Wouldn't it be? The greatest gift that, that we could give this world is not a hypocrite, not somebody who thinks they're, they're so much better, but somebody who simply imitates Christ in their humility and their brokenness and their thankfulness of what he's done for them. If ever I've seen an opportunity to win somebody for the Lord, it's never been out of arrogance 
It's never been out of putting them down. It's out of getting at their level and saying, listen, friend, the pit that you're in I once was there, but he lifted me out of it and he lifted you out of it. There's, there's, there, there, there's a calling. The greatest gift we can be is, is, is to imitate how Christ treated people. He didn't condone nonsense. He didn't embrace falsies. But with humility, he, 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 was, he told truth with grace. He was a man full of grace and truth. Now, we're nearly finished. Stay with me. We're going to spice her up a wee bit now, and then we're, we're going to land this. 2 Timothy 2 speaks about the Lord's approved workmen. If you're here this morning and you're saved, you want to be approved of God. I'm fairly confident of that. You want to be used of God. I'm confident of that. And the world has, has got in the road of much of your, your desires. I'm confident of that. But there's much instruction and in 2 Timothy 2 and specifically verse 20, it speaks about a large house um, that contains not only vessels of gold and silver, but of hay and of wood. Now the gold in its most um, simplest translation is, it speaks of purity, uh, of value, it speaks of God itself and symbolically. The silver scripturally is redemption, it, it speaks of godliness. And within every building, there's costly ma materials and utensils. And there's also wood and hay. I guess not so much hay in this building, but there's certainly wood. Uh, and there's expensive materials in here. And there's cheaper materials in this very building that we're in. But within every building, there, there's costly stuff. And, and there's cheap stuff. Now, what we can learn from this is that the kingdom of God is likened to this large house, if you like. This large kingdom. And within it, there's many vessels. There's many different people inhabit the kingdom of God. In fact, if you know anything, it's a universal church that we, we were part of as a global church. And God knows who are truly his. The Bible even teaches that there will be terrors within the kingdom. And it's not talking about a specific church, but it's a global church. And it's a big house. It's a big, a big gathering. And it says that some are, are, are pure gold and some are silver with their life. That's a, that's a people who live for God and, and imitate Christ. And it talks about other types of vessels, vessels whose service is perhaps somewhat cheap, if you like. Cheap vessels who aren't too effective in the kingdom of God. I know that's a bit sharp, but come with me. But what the scripture teaches me is that God can't use cheap materials the way that he would like to for greater purposes. He can't use a life that that isn't really set apart for him and the work the way he would like to. That's why I want to put that out to you. And listen to what Paul says, because I want to, want to just quote scripture as I move through with this. Paul says in, in verse 20 and 21 of 2 Timothy 2, he says, the expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. It says, if you keep yourself pure, you then will be a special utensil for the honourable use for God. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you at every given moment. See, that, that's what it's speaking about. It's a, it's a living. It's, it's what type of vessel we are. And church, I want to just say this, that be the vessel that God has called you to be. Don't let the influence of the world rob you from what you are, what you know yourself to be. And especially if you're saved longer, Christian. I want to say this. Why is it in our earliest time of serving Jesus, 
we were somewhat more bold. We weren't afraid to say no to things as quick. But as we move on a wee bit, as we get a wee bit older, and I could be exposing myself, perhaps, but all of a sudden, we, we can overlook certain things. We're not just as concerned with how we speak the way we used to be, how we witness to our, our family and friends. We get a wee bit complacent. And, and I want to speak to the older church. Be the vessel that you started out to be. Be the vessel you were when God called you, when the fire of God resided upon you, and you were brazen for the things of God. Young people, if you're new to faith, keep burning for him and, and grow into the vessel and be the vessel. Be the person that God is calling you and drawing you to be. Amen. Be that person. The world doesn't need any more half-hearted Christians. The world needs men and women who, who know what Christmas is about and, and they're so in love with the baby, they're not afraid to stand on the street despite the little angry people who's filled with shopping and have lost their way. Be the vessel, church. Be ready to be used of the master for honourable service at any moment when he calls you. But let us consider not only the baby Jesus, which, is, which could be a picture of the new Christian. He was a baby. Jesus had to grow. A picture of the, of the new Christian. But the man he became, consider that, the, the type of vessel that he himself was. A mighty man of God. Which is a picture of the mature believer. Consider the work that he did among men. The type of vessel that he became. So we may follow in his footsteps. He has taught the church how to live. And with that, with that knowledge, as we approach Christmas church, let us consider the type of vessel we are in the kingdom of God, this great house. Nobody wants to be the wood. Nobody wants to be the hay. I would even settle for silver. I don't mind if you're a pure gold. I will settle for silver. Consider the, the type of service. Consider our life in the hands of God. Cheap Christianity has no cost. It's, it's somebody who does, does as he pleases. It's cheap. A life of faith with no sacrifice, that's, that's cheap. It put his will over the things of God. That's what cheap Christianity is. That's what the hay is and the wood is. I know what the Lord says and I know what the Lord demands, but you know what? He's graceful. That's cheap Christianity. And at times we all step into that place because it's easier at times and we need to sometimes embrace it but the, the lord says listen but you're gold you're silver you're not wood and hay i have redeemed you i have called you and equipped you you have a call upon your life you're you're, you're gold and that, that reminds us that we're not to live in that place of sin and when we find ourselves in it we get ourselves right out of it as quick and as fast as we can and that we're ready to be used of God when he calls us. What a wee Christmas message. See, Christmas is not about stuff that I can get. It's about what I've already received. For me, anyway. It's what I've already received. This great salvation when I was a young lost man, not deserving or not willing, but yet so thankful that he came and what he did for me. That's what it is. And this mindset, it, it causes us to ask the question in, in these days, well, okay, with that in, that in mind, what God has given us, a, a fresh reflection of the cross, 
What type of quality of vessel am I really today? Is the question that we need to be asked. Of. Do I give back unto him that I am ready to be used for him? For that great mission. Because don't forget, Christ didn't come that we can just have a wee life. His mission was to save that lost souls that are perishing every day in this land. Think of it. Think of it. I had a conversation recently with a Christian and their view on abortion was shocking. Absolutely shocking. And that's influence. I don't want to get down a rant on this, but listen, listen. Christ came to save souls. How then can the church destroy them and not be moved in that? Nonsense. It's worldly thinking. I understand situations. I understand personal rights. And you have the right as a Christian to make decisions. And that's what it's calling us to be. What sort of vessel am I going to be? Am I going to be one that's going to say, well, it's my body, it's my way? Or it's his word, his way, I'm his vessel. There's the options. The church needs an army of pure vessels that rise up, full of grace and truth, you see. Truth points out truth. That's what we need this Christmas. An army of vessels of men and women filled with thankfulness, humility, full of grace, but truth. Some Christians have got lots of grace today, but they're afraid of truth. Do the will of God, even if it costs us, and it will, to die to this world again. That's what the church has to do again, and live for Christ to this world. Church, you carry something of God in you. And I'm closing with this. You are a vessel filled with his glory. Live in such a way. Do you believe you're filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, church? Are you saved this morning? And are you filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, church? Anybody filled with the Holy Spirit this morning? Church, if we're quiet in here, we're going to be very quiet out there. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit this morning? The Sekinah glory. The Sekinah glory. We get to live with that Sekinah glory. We've been entrusted with pure gold. We need to live like that and carry that with us. I'm about to go in with a group of family and no doubt Christ is going to be slagged off. But you know something? How I respond to that, how I live to that. I will stand there gracefully, get slagged, but I will gracefully tell them the truth. That's the witness, that's the present, that's the gift we need to be. And I can tell you, church, and many of you know it, if you're a wee bit bored in your faith, you're not talking enough about them. That's the problem. If you're a bit bored in your faith, you're not talking about them. It's not costing you anything. You're, you're, you're keeping yourself warm with the hay. Get rid of the hay, get the pure gold out of it, man.